Don't ever be afraid to walk away from a deal, no matter how much time and effort you put into it. And it could be heartbreaking. You spend months and months and months, you're underwriting, you're flying to the market, you're speaking with property managers, someone's accepted your LOI, but you find something. And if it's a red flag, pay attention. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Rick Martin. Rick is joining us from Redondo Beach, California. He has been involved in real estate since 1998 and has recently transitioned into a full-time syndicator. Rick is both an active and a passive investor and has almost 2,000 units. Rick, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? I'm great, Ash. Thanks for having me. That's our pleasure. Rick, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, well, way back in the day, around 1998 or so, bought my first house. It was with a girlfriend. We were going to buy it together. She backed out. I moved forward. And a year later, my career, my life took a change. So rather than selling it, I hung on to that thing and rented it. And I was up in Seattle, Washington. And I'd gone off to film school up in Vancouver, BC. And I was basically a broke student, but I was getting these rent checks. So that's how the light bulb went off. And I discovered passive investing and really... It wasn't that passive because I hired a best friend to manage it and that led to all kinds of problems, but lesson learned. Well, how did you progress in real estate from that one house? Did you just buy another house? My plan at that time was, I'm going to try to do this once a year, but coming out of school, having debt from school and whatnot, that didn't quite work out, but I did continue to invest as I made my way down the coast. Like I said, I was in Vancouver. I ended up buying a place in Las Vegas, which at the time seemed like a home run, but that was 2004. So four years later, it didn't look so good, but I held on to that baby. And then I actually doubled down during the valleys of that recession. I bought some more in Vegas and I bought some more in the desert hot springs because at that time I was living in Los Angeles and that was the place where we could go out and I partnered with a friend and it was really hard to get a loan basically. We were working, we had good jobs, but it was really hard. The capital markets had sort of dried up. And so we were coming out of pocket, but paying very little for places. And then we put a little bit of money back into them and basically do the burr before I learned about burring. And, and um, this was all a side gig, right? You had a full-time job? Absolutely. And it wasn't like we were doing 20 homes a year. It was looked at at that time as like, okay, this is going to be a part of my nest egg. But then as I began to sell these things, they were really far exceeding my returns in the stock market and just really wanted to become more focused on real estate in general. And then toward 2016, 2017, I continued doing the out-of-state thing. I picked a market. I was sort of trying to decide between Kansas City, Indianapolis, and Birmingham. And I settled on Indianapolis and did some burrs and some flips there. And again, I was still working full-time wasn't really considering it a career just as one day this is going to help me retire earlier and then i got involved in an online program about multifamily because i can't remember maybe it was the best ever podcast but i learned about multifamily and, and thought this is the way to go joined an online course which had a network a slack community and got to know several people within that community and, and then learned about syndication and actually went passive for my first five and 
happy to say those have done well, they're doing well. And I knew that I wanted to get involved more actively. So I became a, a general partner. And the areas I was most interested in at that time were the West because I knew it the best. But I really wanted to get more involved in the Southeast because I could see what was happening down there as well as Texas. So Southeast and Texas is sort of where I set my sights. I was also looking in Tucson, Arizona, but logistically it was very difficult to hop on a plane and even Tucson, which isn't that far from Los Angeles. I was also involved in Columbus. So I was flying back to the Midwest, trying to meet brokers that way. I thought something needed to change, at least for me, my lifestyle. I'm married. I got a couple of young kids. Couldn't be hopping on a plane all the time. So I focused on partnerships and made some great relationships in the Southeast and in Texas. And I co-sponsor alongside of those guys. Rick, early in your investing career, when you were doing these single family houses, did your friends know what you were doing with investing in real estate? They were always just sort of impressed. I went to the University of Washington School of Business, but I had this scratch I needed to itch. And that was, I tried pursuing music because I was a musician from early age. And all the while, I kind of kept my right brain going and investing. This is before I kind of made that career change I spoke of earlier. And they were always impressed. They're like, wow, how are you doing this? Mr. Starving artist, you're buying these houses, you got a nice nest egg going. So I kind of tell them how I did it, but sometimes people have a hard time wrapping their heads around real estate. The reason I asked that question is had you taken on some of these friends as investors, you would have scaled sooner. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't think in those terms. The whole using other people's money thing had not come to me much later in life. There are many things I would do differently or I would tell my younger self to do. But yeah, I was basically saving. And then when I partnered, we did bring in a, a third silent partner. But for the most part, it was our own money. And Rick, you mentioned Birmingham, Indianapolis. And what was the other market? Kansas City. Why did you pick those three? And then how did you settle on Indy? I wish I could say that I was studying underlying market fundamentals. But back at that time, I just sort of went with where the buzz was. So I shot first and asked questions later. And for me personally, I thought Birmingham was a little flat in growth. There are some markets that were extremely hot, but I thought the barriers to entry were too difficult. And it came down to Kansas City and Indianapolis. And I did like the mix of appreciation and cash flow in Indianapolis. So that's where I started. And that's how I chose it. And then you can go back and you can check the fundamentals. It wasn't until later that I really started researching underlying market fundamentals. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Investing investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. 
Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. In what year are we talking about that you did Indianapolis, Columbus? Is this recently? 16, okay. Mm-hmm. And right now you're focused on the Southeast? Southeast and Texas. So we have properties in Augusta, Georgia, and we have three now in Sarasota, Bradenton, Florida. And we have one in Lubbock, Texas, and another in Webster, Texas, which is like a greater Houston suburb. Do you still shoot from the hip or is there some analytics <laughs> behind these now? <laughs> no, there's a lot of analytics. And I'll usually start by assessing what the downside risk is. Definitely compare absorption rate based against vacancy and occupancy. See what's going on there in terms of what's driving the population. Take our Florida market, for instance. The average occupancy right there is 98% right now, which is pretty crazy. Now, the last two years have had dramatic rent growth, and we're talking 27% year-over-year rent growth. So we don't depend upon that. We'll underwrite it with more of a 2 3 4% and kind of consider that a extra spike that we're getting right now as gravy and the cherry on top. Rick, I see a lot of syndicators chasing deals with very low cap rates. Mm-hmm. What happens if interest rates rise? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it can happen. And that's sort of the downside risk I mentioned. I think everybody's in fear of that. We keep waiting for the Fed to raise interest rates and see if cap rates are finally going to rise along with them. I don't think you could stand on the sideline, but I do think you have to be very careful. Make sure whether it's a deal that you're actively involved in or passively involved in, make sure that it's very well capitalized. Make sure it has flexible financing and make sure it has active cash flow. And I think if you have those three things, you can weather any storm. And you can hold out for a better day to sell. I've hung on to certain deals for a long time. like your time. house in Vegas. Yeah, exactly. It's a perfect example. I held out. And I actually sold that thing for a profit when it looked pretty sorry there for a while. So, yeah, the flexible financing, I think, is a big one. You don't want to be pushed out of a loan any sooner than you want to be. What does that mean, flexible financing? It's tricky because if you get into fixed long-term debt, that might not match your business plan. Let's say your business plan, it's a value add and you want to go in and you want to renovate units and maybe turn tenants over in a matter of 18 to 24 months. And then you're going to increase the value and you're going to go back to the bank and possibly refinance and pull investor capital out. You don't want to be stuck in that loan because there's some pretty steep prepayment penalties you're going to have to pay. Got it. So you might want to get floating rate. To some that sounds risky, but there are things that you can build in to protect yourself. You can purchase a cap so the interest rate doesn't rise any farther than, say, 5%. And there are also forward-looking curves. There's data that predicts what future interest rates are going to do. So you build that into your underwriting, and it accounts for rises in interest rates. Therefore, you're not left holding the bag. You say you're coming in at 2.8%, which is like some of the rates we're getting today. 
is floating. Well, it might float on up to as high as 5% in a couple of years. You want to make sure that you have all that built into your underwriting. Got it. Rick, you've got almost 2,000 units. What does your team look like today? Actually, over 2,200 now. As of this call, we're just closing on another deal. So I have two sets of boots on the ground because, like I say, I do like the Southeast and I do like Texas. And each one of those, we have acquisitions person and we have asset management specialist in each one of those markets. And in terms of marketing and due diligence, we all sort of team up on that. And then I oversee investor relations. I do quite a bit of content development just to educate the investors, which I enjoy. And then we have some pretty sizable property management teams in place. And we have a property management company in Florida. They have over 10,000 units. So they know what they're doing. They've been doing a while. And And financials and legal. Financials and legal. We have pretty much the same attorney on each deal. So the PPMs look pretty similar one to the other. And we have accountants, we have bookkeeping. It's quite a staff (laughs) from A through Z. What were some of the growing pains that you encountered as you're coming up to 2,200 units? I think the toughest thing for me was breaking in to syndication. I didn't realize it was going to be such a challenge. And I was just kind of trying to find my way and see how I could fit in where I could deliver the most value to people. And quite honestly, that's what kind of led me into passively investing, which I do out of my solo 401k. I'd come close on a couple LOIs, but just wasn't sealing the deal. And not only did I want to learn, but I wanted to start growing my wealth. So I started meeting with a few operators that I met through various conferences and got to know them, got to like the way that they worked. And I also got a peek behind the curtain, kind of see how they communicate with their investors. And everybody does it differently. There's a lot of content coming every week. Others are pretty quiet. And then a deal come around. So everybody does it differently. And I can sort of learn from that. And I did. And I still do. Rick, what's an example of a challenge that you had with an investor? Well, that's an excellent question. And one person specifically comes to mind. He just didn't want to be a part of an audience. And when your investor base grows, you have to look towards some way of managing that. So you look a CRM, what's that, a customer? Relations management. Relation management. (laughs) Thank you. Well, when I would send out maybe a blog article or some market information, maybe a video that I did, he didn't like that. And he unsubscribed. And he had just subscribed and he seemed very interested. We'd had a conversation. So I said, hey, what's wrong? (laughs) What did I do? And he just told me flat out he didn't want to be a part of an audience. And it's challenging because I always have to remember that guy. When I'm sending out important information, like a deal, for instance, I have to go, oh, yeah, I got to contact that guy separately. That's okay. I'll do it. That's what he likes. But it's just a matter of always remembering, okay, I have to remember him. And then if other people do that, then it's kind of hard to track. He's got to have the cleanest inbox ever. He must. He's very particular. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) What about a challenge that you've had with uh, co-GPs or partners? I think the biggest thing is initially people have reached out to me and asked, would I like to participate in their deal? And I'm always flattered, but if the deal is happening within the next several months, I just can't do it. I think the biggest thing is you just have to allow enough time to really get to know these people and meet with them in person and just make sure that your interests align, that you really do complement each other's skill sets. And there are no quirks that might rub each other the wrong way. I've seen a lot of partnerships go south 
pretty quickly. And I have a little bit of fear of getting into a permanent partnership because I know that can happen. But I've been very fortunate with the, the level of communication and I try to reciprocate and I try to pass that on to my investors as well. So I've been lucky. They've been very transparent and I try to do the same for them. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to start your own syndication business or maybe you've tried, but you've been unable to get your first apartment deal? Well, it's hard. I know firsthand getting started in syndication is not easy. So have you considered working with a mentor? Imagine working one-on-one with a full-time syndicator who can help you do your first apartment building deal faster, help you avoid big mistakes stakes and scale your portfolio. If you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, then I want you to check out the mentoring program from my friend, Michael Blanc, who specializes in helping people get started with apartment buildings. I've known Michael for many years now, and he genuinely wants to help people become financially free. He developed a proven system and has helped hundreds of people do their first apartment building deal. I know he can help you as well. To find out more, text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 668 Six six. I know Michael's going to take care of you. Go ahead and text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own apartment syndication business. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And Follow-Up Boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or or you can follow up with your investors, and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Follow-up boss offers experts seven days a week You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial, twice the length of the normal trial. For a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Rick, does that mean you don't have any permanent Permanent partners in your company? I've come close a couple times and for whatever reason it, it wasn't going to work out. So right now, in a sense, I'm sort of a one-man band, but I'm always on the hunt and have a lot of great conversations and am always open to that. But right now, Fortress Federation is working pretty well alongside the other partners. They're pretty semi-permanent. We partner on every deal. But the doors open for anyone to do their own venture. How do you mean? Like, well, I'm confused what a permanent partner is versus oh. the partners that you have now. Well, there's lead sponsors and there are co-sponsors. 
So I consider my boots on the ground elite sponsors because they're the ones that are there actually operating the deal. And so they would look at me as a co-sponsor. Now I'm talking with someone and we're talking about doing a deal together where we would be the leads in Georgia. And that person would become a part of Fortress Federation permanently. And like I say, I've had those conversations, but I'm very careful and I think I'm leading toward that. But at this time, maintaining my co-sponsorship role. Okay. So historically you've had partners on deals, but not so much a partner in your entity, your, your fortress company. Exactly. Got it. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Proceed with caution. Yeah. Well, when I do partnerships with people, then everything is legally written out, right? There's always an LLC that we enter in together. So when I do vet a partner, it's not as if it happens overnight. These are people that I consider basically friends. We hop on the phone and have conversations about things other than real estate as well. Yeah. Rick, if you can go back and give your 20-year-old self advice, what would it be? I think to scale faster. I think for me, I didn't really learn about the power of real estate until I think I listened to my first Bigger Pockets podcast. And Bigger Pockets have been out for a long time. I wish I had opened myself up to greater resources. I wish I read more real estate books and I think podcasts are something pretty new, but I think it would have been nice having the technology that we have today, but I think there were resources back then. Syndication's been around a long time. I would have said, dig into other resources sooner. Yeah. Rick, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Don't ever be afraid to walk away from a deal, no matter how much time and effort you put into it. And it could be heartbreaking. You spend months and months and months, you're underwriting, you're flying to the market, you're speaking with property managers, someone's accepted your LOI, but you find something. And if it's a red flag, pay attention and you'll get another deal. And it may take a lot of time and effort, blood, sweat, and tears again, but better to not lose your shirt than to do a bad deal. Have you been burned by following through on a deal that you shouldn't have? I have really not. I've never lost investor money, but I did make sort of a dream investment where I bought a piece of land in Costa Rica. It was going to be my dream home. And again, I had a partner on that deal and he sort of switched philosophies midway and we paid a lot of cash for that. And there really was no income coming in. We did this back in 2006. And when it became apparent that we weren't going to get water, like we thought we were going to get water and electricity, it was just kind of burning a hole in our pocket. We had to sell it at a bit of a loss and walk away. Yeah, I think that is important advice. Even if you've paid thousands for an appraisal, you have lender fees, title fees. If it's not the right deal, you got to walk away. You do, and it hurts. And sometimes people have money that's gone hard, and you can't get that back either. Yeah. Um, but you really have to pay attention to the red flags. Yeah, don't let your ego force you to continue. No, or maybe you want it so bad. You've been wanting to get into this business for the longest time, or you really want to do a deal. Don't let that overtake the facts. Yeah. Thank you for that. Rick, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Heck yeah. Let's do it. Rick, what's the best ever book you recently read? Recently, I would have to say Who Not How, but I will plug the best ever book on syndication. I do think it's a comprehensive resource. Awesome. Who, not how, what impact did that have on you? Well, just not to try to do everything yourself. 
how refers to how I'm going to do this. What are the tactics I'm going to use when you really should be leveraging other people who can maybe do it better and free up your time to focus on big picture items that you should be focused on. Rick, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I have a soft spot in my heart for kids without parents. So I have a few places that I like to donate and I give out a lot of free content and kind of one of my mantras is just add value no matter what deliver good content and don't expect anything in return. I love it. And Rick, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Best way is to go to www.fortressfederation.com and there I have a free resource. It's a quick start guide to investing in syndications. Awesome. Rick, thank you for sharing your story with us today. From being on the West Coast, buying a house, you were supposed to buy with your girlfriend. That didn't work <laughs> out, but that kind of got you the real estate bug. It did. And you've achieved a tremendous amount of success. So thank you for sharing your story with us. Thanks so much, Josh. It was a pleasure. Yeah, pleasure's ours. Best ever listener, thank you for joining us. Have a best ever day.